Hey guys, this is the C3 Church Malmo podcast. I am believing God will speak to you today and that a greater level of faith will be unlocked in your life. For more information about C3 Church, go to c3malmo.se. God bless. Good morning, church. Good morning. It's dark out there. I can't see all so well. But you look cozy. You match the weather outside. Uh, my name is Ladea. <clears throat> I'm a leader here, as uh, Matthew mentioned. And I just, I feel so humbled every time I get the opportunity to speak to you. Um, and it hit me again as I was preparing. It was not ever on my radar to preach and teach, to address God's church, to open the word. You know, in my 20s, I had a lot of tension with the church and the Bible, and God, even though I grew up in church, uh, and it just, I, it wouldn't have crossed my mind, but in my 30s, I would have the, the complete honor and privilege of standing here and doing that, uh, so thank you, thank you for, thank you for being here, and thank you for joining me this morning. Uh, I found myself kind of, to be honest, kind of weeping through my preparation for this morning, and I've actually, I've been kind of weeping all morning. Um, and so that's why I've got my tissues, <laughs> just in case. Um, we're going to be looking at Exodus 33. We'll get there in a few minutes, but you can go ahead and turn there if you want to. Uh, it's somewhere in God's leading me. I really believe God led me to this specific chapter, somewhere in that, and then my, my studying it. I just found myself weeping for us and for this community, uh, my heart kind of crying for God's presence in my life and in my home and in this place. And I almost was sitting there, I'm like, okay, God, I don't even want to write this sermon. I don't even want to craft a sermon on this one. I just kind of want to read the chapter. <laughs> um, I'll do a little bit more than just read it, but we are just going to kind of go through some key moments here. Uh, just because my experience of it was so fresh and so strong this week. Um, so I'm just going to pray real quick for me and for us. Come, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, that you are here. Would you animate your word for us this morning? Would you make it fresh? Would you make it poignant? Would you help me to get out of the way of what you would like to do this morning among us? In Jesus' name. Amen. As Matthew mentioned this morning, I agree, I think this series is super important for us as a church. We're, we're just kind of refocusing, remembering what is the local church really for. And so we've, we've crafted these three kind of mission statements that I think encapsulate what the local church is on the earth to do. So the first statement is, we, the church, seek his presence and kingdom before anything else. We, the church, seek his presence and his kingdom before anything else. The next two, the second one is, we intentionally follow Jesus daily, desiring to become more like him. And the third one is we participate in God's mission and story, aiming to see our neighborhoods, our region, and our, and our world redeemed and flourishing. So those are our three 
statements we're going to be unpacking. And, you know, everything, those other two and everything in between, kind of rises and falls on this first one. We seek his presence and his kingdom before anything else. And, you know, that's true partly because Jesus himself sets our priorities in Matthew 6, verse 33, right? He says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things, everything else you're worried about will be taken care of. It's easy to say and it's hard to do, right? It's kind of a slippery thing sometimes, God's presence and his kingdom. And usually all those other things that we're worried about, they feel more pressing. They're more urgent. They're more immediately real to us, like, like rising um, housing costs or what about my income this month or what about my health or my loved one's health or my loved one who doesn't know you, and what about my career, and my family, and all these other things, my friends. All those things feel so real. They're in front of us. They're immediate. And so God's presence and seeking his presence and his kingdom first can just slip out of our hands somehow. But Jesus is clear, right? Seek first his kingdom. And his kingdom cannot be separated from his presence. There's just no way. Any kingdom without his presence is a human kingdom. And as we're going to see in Exodus, his presence really makes the difference. Without his presence, nothing else really matters. So in Exodus, we're hopping into the middle of some pretty epic stories, right? The whole Bible is, of course, one story leading to Jesus, made up of lots of smaller stories on the way. Uh, And just like you wouldn't pick up any other type of book and start reading from chapter 14, you wouldn't do that, right? You would would read the first 13 chapters so you know what's going on. Uh, We don't want to treat the Bible like that either. So if it's been a while since you've read Exodus, I'm going to give us a little bit of context leading up to Exodus 33, so we kind of know what's going on, because I realize we're hopping in, we're parachuting here into the middle. If you've been reading along with Connect at all, you would have been reading in Exodus, uh, the deliverance story, so this lines up pretty well. But God has delivered the Israelites from Egypt. They were enslaved in horrible, oppressive conditions for many, many years. And they cried out to God, and God heard them, and God delivers them. And he uses this man called Moses to lead them out of Egypt. So they've gone through lots of stuff. They go through the Red Sea, you know, that whole story, the water piling up on the sides. It's pretty epic, right? You maybe have seen Prince of Egypt. Um, But that going through the Red Sea, it's a type of baptism, right? They're going from their old life as slaves in Egypt to a new life as God's people. And God has promised them a land. It's what they haven't had for so long, right? They have been on somebody else's land. And that means everything, right? It's a place of their own. It's success. It's abundance. It's freedom. But God doesn't just take them straight there, right? That's the whole thing. They have to do all this wandering in the wilderness. So as part of that trip, they spend about 10 months a year at Mount Sinai, Um, And I think in some ways that's because deliverance was a moment, 
right, when the Egyptians, Egyptians were swallowed up in the sea, but taking on, becoming a new person, becoming God's people takes a while. It's a process. So God has them camp out on Mount Sinai for a while just so they can get in touch and with and start living out the rhythms of God, right? They have to reorder their whole lives around those rhythms. And so that's what they're learning. That's what they're doing. The tabernacle is going to be built in this time so that God can go with them. And during this time, Moses, right, he's, he's really established himself as a man of God, a leader of the people. Um, he's this amazing intercessor and prayer warrior on behalf of the people. He's also apparently a super amazing mountain climber, um, even at the age of 80. I mean, this guy is climbing Mount Sinai to the top to meet with God more than once, many times. And I'm like, an 80-year-old man? I mean, did he have those shoes like... The, you know, the, the toe shoes. Was he one of those mountain climbers or a pickaxe maybe to get up there? I don't know. Uh, maybe the only training routine he needed really was just being a shepherd in the mountains for all those years. But I sometimes think about that, like this 80-year-old man going up the mountain to meet with God. Um, and he's got some dramatic encounters going on up there. Um, super intimate, but also super dramatic. I mean, at one point he's up there, and from the people's perspective at the base of the mountain... It looks like he's been consumed by fire. They're just like, well, I guess he's gone. You know, he burned up up there, all right? I mean, just crazy things. He wrestles with God on behalf of the people. He gets instructions from God, the Ten Commandments, right? All these things are happening in this time of the story. And twice in this process... Uh, Moses comes down with like a, an offer from God, a proposal, kind of like a marriage proposal. Um, and he's like, I want to be your God, and, and, and will you be my people? Will you be mine? If you will, you'll show the world what I'm like. You'll be a testimony among the nations. You'll be a beacon out here. And God, he isn't one of those flaky partners who, like, doesn't really tell you what they want all the time. I'm sorry, honey. <laughs> he's, like, straight up. He's, like, these are the terms of the relationship. That's the kind of partner you want, <laughs> really. So he tells them the terms. We get the Ten Commandments, 42 terms of the covenant, etc. Um, and one of the most important terms is in Exodus 20, verse 22 and 24. The Lord says to Moses, tell the Israelites this, you have seen for yourselves that I have spoken to you from heaven. Do not make any gods to be alongside me. Do not make for yourselves gods of silver or gods of gold. Instead, make an altar of earth for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Exchange your idols for altars. And twice, remember, Moses is coming down two times with this proposal. Twice the people are like, yes, yes, we will. We will marry you, God. We do. We want to be your people. And it's a beautiful thing when a group of people commit to follow God together. Now, this is such an important moment. It's a key moment in God's redemption plan of calling people from all nations to himself in order to show everyone else what he's about that more would come to know him. Like, that's God's ultimate end goal. <laughs> so after their commitment, 
Um, God says to Moses in Exodus 25, verse 8, Now, have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Wow. This is what he's after, to live with them, to be right in the middle. The tabernacle plans were to be right in the middle of the people. Adam and Eve in the garden... They dwelt with God's personal presence all the time, right? Until sin separated them. And one author, excuse me. <coughs> one author says, this loss of manifest presence from which we have fled, this is the cause of our unceasing restlessness. Right, Adam and Eve hide. They have to flee God's presence when sin separates them. And, and then we feel, we inherit that restlessness. Man, we're, we're all dealing with that. And this moment with Israel is part of God's plan to get back together with humanity once and for all. We see, we see the end goal when we read Revelation 21, verse 3, right at the end of the Bible, where it says God's dwelling place is now among the people in that, in that city, in the new heavens and new earth, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. Like, that's where they're going. We kind of started there. Things got messed up along the way. God's got this plan with Israel here. He's starting to work it out, and that's where we're all going if we choose it, right? We have to choose him. And in this lifetime, if you choose him, you get glimpses of his presence. But, wow, we will experience the mind-blowing fullness of his presence in heaven, in new creation, and if, of course, if you haven't wanted him, I mean, if you said, no, thank you, well, then you don't have to have him then either. But I don't know about that, because we've got his manifest personal presence, and then you've got the presence of God that's everywhere all the time, right? Like, we, that's just a thing. As a Christian, we know God, God is everywhere, even when you're not aware of him. Um, and that's, that we call that his omnipresence. But if you don't choose him now, you won't even have that when the time comes. And I don't think we even, like, we can't even comprehend what it's like. Because his presence, his breath sustains everything right now and oh, when that's taken away. But if we choose his close personal manifest presence, then it is available everywhere and anywhere at any time at this point. But it is a choice and it is part of a commitment, a relationship to God. That's what we see getting worked out here, this committed relationship between God and the Israelites. So one time, one of these times, Moses is up on the mountain, Mount Sinai. This time, this is the time that people think he must have gone up in flames. He's up there for 40 days and 40 nights. I guess he needed some alone time. I can relate. Um, and the people start to wonder, like, I guess he's not coming back. He really did get burned up, right? And they start to think, while Moses is still up there, well, we really have this, we really want to worship. We really want to thank God who delivered us from Egypt. So they get this great idea to build a golden calf, right? You know this story. And they take off all their jewelry and things that they took from the Egyptians, and they took with them, and they built this calf, and Aaron, Moses' brother, is like, yeah, that's a pretty good idea. Yeah, okay, let's do that. 
it's like, you know, partly it's understandable because they had just come from Egyptian culture, right? And Egyptian gods are tangible. They are something you could see. Like that's, and I, I like that. I like having something I can see. It's much easier than something abstract, although there was the, the fire at the top of the mountain. <laughs> I could see that. But as far away, you know, I need something right up in my face that I can see, that I can bow down to. That must have been partly how they felt. Um, so they make an idol where the altar of God is supposed to be. Right? Remember, we just read in Exodus 20, don't make any other idols of silver or gold. Instead, make an altar of earth. So they've just, they've just broken that um, term of the relationship. So to understand what this would have been like, I mean, imagine having a beautiful wedding and exchanging heartfelt, meaningful vows to love and cherish and be faithful to your partner forever and then sleeping with somebody else on your wedding night. I mean, that's kind of what's happening here, right? So that's the picture. Moses is up, up there writing down instructions from God on how to build his earthly house, the tabernacle, because God wants to be with his bride he just married. And then he sees what's going on, and he, he's angry. That's understandable. I mean, if your spouse sleeps with somebody else on your wedding night, would you be angry? Heck yes, <laughs> you would be angry. You would be jealous for them, right? That's what God is at this point. And as you're reading this and you're just like, oh, you know, how is this going to end? What is God going to do? Is he going to divorce them? You know, whatever he does, he must be justified in doing it. Like, that's kind of how I felt reading this. And now we get to chapter 33, verses 1 to 3. Then the Lord said to Moses, leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, Perizzites, Hevites, and Jebusites, even the Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. He's giving them what he's promised. But then he says, but I will not go with you. But I will not go with you. He says, because you're a stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you along the way. Not because he's just going to get mad and ugh, destroy them, but because his nature is so different from their nature. He's dangerous for them. And so he's like, I'm, I promised it. I'm going to be true to my promise, but I cannot go with you. Man, God offers the Israelites what they wanted, apparently. You know, the land, all the benefits of God without actually having to be with him or wait on him or deal with their sin in order to be in, their, in, order to be in his presence. They could have the land, the security, their enemies are going to get wiped out. God's sending them a messenger. That's what an angel is. He's sending them a representative of himself. Well, that's pretty good. It's like a crazy game of would you rather. Have you ever played that game? Maybe with a kid. Uh, it's where you, you give two kind of ridiculous options and you have to choose one. Like, would you rather have arms where your ears are or ears where your arms are? You know? Or would you rather never eat cake again or have to eat cake after every meal for the rest of your life? 
Yes. <laughs> Pete Grieg, he's an awesome global prayer guide, and a, a lot of God has really used him to establish a culture of prayer around the world. He puts it this way. He said, would you rather have all your prayers answered tomorrow, but no manifest presence, no more intimacy with Jesus? Or would you rather have the personal presence of Jesus every day, but live with unanswered prayers for the rest of your life? I mean, just asking it. I mean, if you, if you have been in church for a while, you know the right answer. Jesus, <laughs> right? Jesus is the answer. But really, what if all your prayers were answered tomorrow? Everyone sick you're praying for healed. The people you want to come to Jesus, come to Jesus. Your money worries gone. Like, would you trade that? for some unanswered prayers that you have to live with your whole life, just to be with Jesus. That's, that's, that's what's going on. That's the offer right here. This is such an important moment for Moses and the people to set the trajectory of the rest of their lives and the rest of the story. Notice the people's response in verse 4. When the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn. Interestingly, these are the same people, the chapter before, who built a golden calf to worship and dance around, <laughs> right? And now they're mourning because God's not with them. I think they've realized that they are hungry for the tangible presence of God and that they went about it all wrong just then. And now what they really want is being threatened to be taken away. The hunger is there. They're realizing what their hunger is really for. The hunger is there. They're realizing what it's really for. In verses 7 to 11, we read about some kind of stand-in solution. So we're not having the tabernacle in the middle of the people. We've got a tent of meeting, and it says it's some distance outside of the camp. Okay, and that's where Moses now goes to meet with God. He goes there regularly. It says that he talks to God like a friend while the people worship from a distance from their tents looking at the cloud that descends over this tent of meeting to be with Moses. So it's like, but this is temporary. God knows this is temporary. God is he's so willing to forgive. And look what happens. I really want to focus now, verse 12 and the next few verses after that. It's it is a fascinating, stirring, convicting exchange between Moses and God. Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, this is verse 12, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you. And continue to find favor with you. And remember that this nation is your people. So I may know you. Knowing, that word, when that shows up in your Hebrew Bible, it's the same word for sexual intimate relations. This knowing. It's also used for knowing God. It's this intimate closeness. Like, I've experienced him. I know him. 
It's like when Jesus says in John, I've come that they would be in me as I in you. It's intimacy that's just hard to express in words. And he says, I want to know you, so teach me your ways. That's questions like, what are you like? What do you, what do, you do? What do you like to do? What is important to you, God? And then Moses is like, remember, God, you already married these people. You haven't officially divorced them yet. Like, you're married. You chose them. They might be stiff-necked people, but they're your stiff-necked people. <laughs> right? That's kind of what he's saying. And look at God's mercy, faithfulness, his readiness to be there. Verse 14, God answers, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Mm. Presence and rest for your restlessness. It reminds me a little bit of Jesus saying, come to me, all you who are burdened, and I will give you rest in the New Testament. Rest for all your wandering desires, satisfaction for that hunger that you've been misplacing, deep, deep, soul-level satisfaction and intimacy. Moses could have packed up after that, right? Like, that was kind of the answer to the prayer that he wanted. Like, whew, I think I probably would have. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. This meeting has really exceeded all of my expectations. <laughs> wow. Uh, you are holy and I am not. I'll just see myself out, you know, type of thing. But that is not what Moses does. He kind of doubles down on his request and he points out what's really at stake here. He's showing God that, man, he really gets it. This is verse, verses 15 and 16, the key verses for today. Moses says, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? What else will distinguish me? Apparently, it's not that they could have an angel leading them. It's not that they would get the promise of wiping out all their enemies. I mean, that's pretty distinguishing, right? But Moses is like, no, he's not taking this game of would you rather. He's like, we would rather have the presence of God. And you know what? We, the church, we were made for the presence of God. I mean, very specifically, where we are in this story, you know, we're, we're somewhere over here in the Bible. We are now the only human organization, constellation in which God promises to manifest his presence, the church. We are the continuation of the story started here. We are the people who God wants to be with, who God wants to know we are the people he has set apart to show everyone else what he's like so that more would come to know him. If his presence isn't with us, we got nothing to offer this city. And we've got nothing to satisfy our own hunger for more than temporarily. It doesn't matter, even the good church stuff. It doesn't matter if everyone in here is giving a tenth of their income. It doesn't matter if our numbers are increasing. It doesn't matter if people are connecting and making awesome friendships. 
Those are awesome things, but they don't matter ultimately if God's presence isn't with us and in it. And this, this is what I want you to get. This is my heart cry for us. If we start putting other things, if we start seeking other things before this, it doesn't matter. Nothing else, as Moses says, will distinguish us from all the other people on the face of the earth. We might as well be any other goodwill organization getting together to do some good things and feel kind of good about it. There's a pastor and author, Fred Hartley, and he's clearly very burdened for the modern Western church and the issue of God's presence remaining in the church where it is supposed to be. And he, he's writing to some young people, and he says, I'm a little worried that you're sick of church. And he says to these people, I wonder if you're sick of church or if you're sick of church without God's presence. Life without God's presence. You know, we spend time in and outside of church trying all sorts of things to calm our restless hearts, to give us rest, to satisfy our hunger. And as I mentioned, even the good stuff, even the Christian stuff can get in the way. And that, that oh, that's maybe the saddest of all, right? When the systems and people meant to edge us closer into the presence of God actually end up burdening us with stuff to do and read and attend. I mean, I've been there. I filled my head with podcasts and books and all kinds of things. I've gone through seasons where I live off other people's prayers, right? But where I myself wasn't pursuing his presence for me. I wasn't reading. I was just getting secondhand stuff. That's good. There's a place for that. But man, that can really quickly get your priorities out of whack, disordered. You might even reap some of the benefits of those good things, right? But then the question becomes, are you satisfied with that? Like we're so satisfied too easily. We're satisfied way too easily. And Moses is really illustrating here that he is not satisfied. He could have, let, he could have said, thanks, God, after God said, my presence will go with you and give you rest. But he, say, he keeps going. He's like, okay, because if it doesn't, right, he is not easily satisfied. And God is like, seek my presence first. I will give you rest. And I want to talk to you, us as a church, and you individually, he desires you. He loves you. He doesn't want to talk to you through somebody else. He wants to talk to you. And so as church, as a church and, and, and as individuals, God is calling us to exchange our idols for altars. So I want you to contemplate this a little bit. Like, where are you taking your hunger? What if you took it to the altar? And the altar now, I mean, that's just, that's a place to meet with God. That's what an altar is. And an idol, like I've said, can be a good thing elevated to above God's status. It can be a thing that's bad for you in any measure. It could be something tangible like money you can hold in your hand. And it can be something more abstract like just doing things in your own strength. 
Maybe you're in a dark period, a period of waiting, and you've hit a wall in your journey with God. All the Israelites hit lots of walls. And you're getting tired like they were. Like they, were. they got tired of waiting. I can sympathize with that. They got tired of waiting for God to show up, waiting for Moses to come down. So they constructed something else. Maybe that's what you've done. You're just filling your life up with other things, constructing something else in his place. That scratches the itch for a short time, but is actually blocking you from having the real thing. That's my first question to you today. What idol can you exchange for an altar? And you know, church, sometimes we call this, like we don't even have an altar here as a church, but we call this diffuse area up front, like the altar. I just want to be clear, nothing like magical happens just because you're down here on these carpets. Like this is not a more magical place than where you are. But sometimes like coming down here and taking a stand and saying, yes, I do want prayer. Yes, I do. I I am here to seek God. Sometimes that's what you got to do to shake up the status quo a little bit. It actually shows that a church without the presence of God is not a church I want to be in. So church, I'm inviting you to seek him. Seek him in his presence. Practice the presence of God. Practice, not perfection. In quiet conversation on your bike or in your car or on your run, maybe at a place, at a place that you've deemed sacred in your home or in a coffee shop, cultivate a friendship with him like Moses had. Ask him, what are your ways, God? Show me. What are you like? What is important to you? And seek him also together. Remember, we, the church, we are the only human organization that has promised the manifest presence of God. Imagine coming to church service and never experiencing God's presence. That just makes me want to weep. The gathering here, sometimes it's Harder than, you know, you're on your bike on your way to work, so you can start talking to God. It's already part of your routine. But the gathering, it's like a pilgrimage, right? It's harder to get to. you got to plan for it. you got to get up a little earlier. Same with, you know, gathering for prayer room. But it's like a small token to show God, hey, your presence, it's worth it to me. When we as a people as a group, declare that we are not satisfied. I'm not satisfied with status quo church. I don't want to be like the other dying Western churches that I keep reading about. I don't want to be like that. When we as a people, we're like, oh, we're hungry, and we realize we're hungry for God, and we realize there's more. That's what, if you keep reading In verse 17, the Lord says to Moses next, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. And then Moses keeps going. Man, he's persistent. He's like, show me your glory, God. As if he hadn't seen it already. This man having mind-blowing experiences at the top of the mountain. Moses is like, there's more, there's more, there's more. He's persistent. I'm hungry. 
when we do that together and we realize that he actually wants to show us, that's when we come alive. You know, that, that old word that sometimes feels outdated, revival. I grew up with revival. It just means revive, come alive, come alive again. We come alive in his presence. The church comes alive in his presence. You as a person, you come alive in his presence. You become more of who you were made to be. Sometimes we can get that confused with hype. I did when I was growing up in church, but I'm the opposite of a hype girl, I'll say. It's real hunger we're after, not hype. Ben, you can come up. I'm closing. I've gone off script, uh, off script a little bit. We might, like the Israelites, kind of become mindless about God's presence. But he is always mindful of us. He is always mindful of us. Jesus is right now sitting at the right hand of the Father, our forever intercessor, a greater Moses, through whom we have utter intimacy if we choose it. If we turn around and say, yes, I want that. I want to seek that. It starts with just a heart cry that just says, yes, Lord, I want you. I accept your proposal. I want to be your person. I want to be your people. We want to be your people. So as we have a a closing time of worship, I want you to take some time and think about that question I asked. Are there any idols in your life that you could exchange for an altar? And what would that look like? And I also want to ask, I mean, I know this is uncomfortable sometimes and it feels weird, but if at any point during worship, if you want to see more of God, if you're hungry for the real thing and you're tired of substitutes, stand up and just come up here. Again, not because this is a magical carpet. It's not. It's a little dirty. But because Moses was bold. And standing and coming up here is something different. It's boldness. We're not here for just doing the stuff, right? We want the fresh, intimate power and presence of the living God to wake us up, to fill our bellies, and to call us out. Because without it, nothing else matters. And I also want to ask you one more. If you're not feeling it, I get that. I've been there, you're like, uh, I'm just not feeling it. But if you want to feel it, if you want to be hungry, I will ask you to come up too and just say, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I'm here as I am. I want to want you. That is an awesome place to start. Let's pray, church. Holy Spirit, I thank you for your closeness. I thank you that you are here, even when we're not aware of it, but that, Lord, you can be so much closer to us when we are aware, 
when we choose to be yours, when we turn around and we repent from other things we've constructed, other things that we've fed ourselves with to keep ourselves full. Lord, it's you that we want, oh God. This place is just another place without you. You make the difference, oh Lord. You make the difference in this community. Church is not going to save anyone, but the living presence of God saves people. Lord, I need more of you, God. Forgive me. Start with me, Lord. Forgive me when I've constructed altars or constructed idols in place of altars, Lord. Forgive me. Forgive me when I, when I get secondhand info about who you are instead of coming straight to you, oh God. It's you I'm hungry for. God, you see each person in this room. You know where they're at. You know their particular hungers and their particular desires and their particular struggles. And God, I thank you that you speak to each person in exactly the way they need to hear. I can't do that, oh God, but you can do that. Would you speak to each person this morning? Would you call them home? Would you call them into your presence, oh God? Thank you because you're faithful. In Jesus' name. Amen.